Hey, chiropractors, we're ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I've got an interview with Dr. Daniel Leonard. He's a chiropractor in Columbus, Ohio, and we're going to dive into uh, a lot of basically his practice, you know, a very unique practice. It's a clinic gym hybrid model. He's got 12 team members. He's got personal trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors, so it's got that integrated uh, mix to it, and we you know, discuss everything from leadership to hiring to having a patient care model that's a little bit unique and the benefits of it struggles and glory times and all that type of stuff with that is uh, someone that is at the 10 year mark of graduating. So we talk about that transition as far as, as you get a little bit more experience and growth and what it looks like as you want to take that next phase into practice. So it's a great interview. Um, Someone that's doing a lot of great things, doing it the right way. You know, I I like to have people on here that are uh, mixing great patient care with really good business and marketing strategies and and doing it ethically and in a way that really helps not only his patient population, but also be able to hire, provide jobs and build a team. So it's a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Before we dive into that, uh, we do have the MPI Sports Summit coming up April 2nd and 3rd. It's a virtual summit and you can register for that for free at bit.ly slash MPI Sports Summit 2021. So the 2021 is in numbers and that's bit.ly bit.ly slash MPI Sports Summit 2021. Check that out. Register for free. There are some upgrades. Great presentations. 12 doctors giving you hands-on and a few didactic presentations on sports injuries, sports chiropractic, and the management of those uh, types of patients. So check that out at bit.ly slash MPI Sports Summit. 2021. And here is my interview with Dr. Daniel Leonard. All right. Welcome to the show, Dan. I really appreciate your time today. Um, it's exciting to to have you on the show for the first time. You know, we've had the pleasure of talking many times and, and meeting in person and such. Uh, I wanted to get an idea of your practice. It's uh, unique. It's a, uh, it sounds like a fun practice. I haven't been there, but I've had the, the pleasure of talking to you about it. But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, personally and professionally, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I appreciate the the opportunity, Kevin. Um, so just a little bit about myself. Um, I just turned the big old 10-year anniversary of, of practicing chiropractic. I um, graduated from Logan in early 2011. Um, I grew up in Ohio, Northeast Ohio. Um, I was involved in sports my whole life. I played baseball all the way through college. Um, my only experience, honestly, with chiropractic care was in college, got hooked up with a really good, just kind of functional ART based Cairo liked how he practiced, like the hands-on approach, um, that, you know, kind of dictated my, my desire to get into the, the profession. Um, went to Logan for four years, came right back to Columbus and started practicing right after that. Um, I practiced for about a year and a half as an associate under, you know, someone who I would say is a very, very good, traditional ethical based chiropractor. I learned a lot about, you know, just basic, um, operations, practice management, learned about, you know, kind of the history behind the profession. Um, always knew that I wanted to be in a little bit more of kind of a, 
interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the over the years and up till this point, just kind of slowly built out a team where now we have, I think, a team of 12 total, um, two chiros, a PT, three massage therapists, three trainers, and then the rest support staff. Um, so it's been just kind of an awesome journey over the last 10 years, building that team up. It's obviously had its, uh, its ups and downs. Uh, I mean, last year was, was great in a sense. Um, also a struggle. Um, we figured out where our holes in the bucket were for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so excited over the next couple of years to, to try to address those issues. Yeah, definitely. You know, that 10 year mark is always an interesting one, right? It gets you to reflect a little bit and see where you came from, but also you have plenty of years ahead of you. And it can be a transition point for a lot of people. And and I think um, you're, you might be at that phase of where you've built up a really nice practice. And so sometimes you want to chisel away a little bit and find out exactly what works, what doesn't, fine tune it, and make sure that you have the next 20, 30 years of being fascinated and motivated by it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we all kind of go through you know our own chapters of life and chapters mm-hmm. of the practice. And, and for me right now, like the chapter that I feel like I'm on is, is building a good team around me, watching yeah. people flourish around me. You know, we just talked a little bit ago, you know, unfortunately over the last year, just with, um, you know, the, the situation that we were in, I had to step back into seeing patients a little bit more frequently than I, I'd like to be at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I love patient care. I love hands-on care, but I don't want to be, you know, trying to push volume through my practice. Um, and at the stage we're at, I, I have to do that in order to generate the revenue for the business, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm at the phase now to where I'd like to back off more on the clinical hours and more focused on kind of the business side and developing people around me. Yeah, definitely. And I want to touch on that in a minute, but give us, you know, a kind of, it's obviously hard during through audio, uh, but try to give us a mental picture of what your practice is. I want our audience to really start to envision that and then we can be able to go from there. Yeah. So I'll actually kind of start from the beginning and just give the transition. Yeah. So, you know, as an associate was in just a like 4,000 square foot traditional chiropractic practice, mm-hmm. um, decided it was not, you know, the, the end all be all for me. So went off on my own into a 900 square foot, like three office, you know, three office building, which included the waiting room and mm-hmm. reception area. Um, I did that for about two years. Um, I ended up moving my practice back into my, um, the doc that I did my associateship with for four years, thinking that I was going to merge and buy his practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just decided that wasn't the route I wanted to go. So I had this vision of, of always wanting a gym associated with, with the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so three years ago, bit the bullet and ended up uh, um, building out our entire space now into what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are about 5,000 square feet total, uh, 2,500 of clinic, 2,500 of gym. Mm-hmm. So when you first walk into the building, you have to go right through the clinic. So everyone walks in the front door right through the reception area. Um, You've got the clinic on the left. You can walk right through to the open space of the gym. Um, I think we've got total of eight treatment rooms um, in that space. And then the gym is pretty much just open space with equipment on the outside. Um, You know, day to day, we have physical therapy going on in the, in the gym space, which is nice. We also have, you know, anywhere probably four to eight personal training sessions a day going on as well. Nice. And then we have our training going on uh, midday and then outside of clinical hours as well. Okay. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken with the clinic gym model is the gym and the clinic separate entities from a, from a legal standpoint, from a legal standpoint, they are uh, yep. for me right now, they're two separate businesses. They kind of yep. operate 
separately. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could see advantages and disadvantages of both. Mm-hmm. You know, I built my brand in, in my practice as, you know, a really good pain management option for patients. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, the gym is kind of its, its separate thing off to the side. Um, I could see an advantage of merging them together and being more of, you know, a wellness type option. Mm-hmm. We just haven't mm-hmm. that right now. Okay, perfect. And then the physical therapist, though, that's under your, your same uh, chiropractic slash physical therapy group? Yep. He's a full time with us here. He's been with me three years now. Um, you know, physical therapy is an interesting, interesting, uh, beast to handle. Yeah. Um, in which way? Cause I, I, I hear that often. Yeah. It's just, you know, in a, in a small clinical setting like this, it's, it's challenging from an insurance standpoint to, mm-hmm. um, you know, get the authorizations to get reimbursed at a certain level. The bigger, you know, practices that we deal with get reimbursed at probably, at least one and a half or two times what we do. And yeah. they just have a better negotiating uh, position. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a constant struggle. And honestly, probably the other piece of it is just from a like marketing standpoint is people are so like ingrained with physical therapy that they're, they're like, well, I need to be referred to a physical therapy group. When in reality, it's like us, they can go see whoever they want. There's portal yep. entry. Um, people are just so ingrained in that, oh, my doctor has to refer me somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that's been, I mean, that's been a challenge over the last three years to try to, you know, fill the physical therapy portion of it, yep. you know, in our overall framework of how we manage patients, you know, it's, it, we start a patient off with, you know, the best tools that we have for pain and management, mm-hmm. we try to transition them into some type of, of active care, um, whether that's physical therapy or whether that's personal training. And then we try to finish them off with, you know, personal training or group training or at home training. Mm-hmm. So for me, physical therapy just filled, it was filling that void of, for example, a Medicare patient that, yep. you know, we just are so limited in what we can do mm-hmm. um, that, you know, in combination, physical therapy and chiropractic work awesome for those patients. Yeah. That's definitely something I could imagine being good is the Medicare. Obviously we're so hamstrung as chiropractors that, uh, you either have to charge them for exercise or do it for free. And you know, it's part of what needs to get them better, but at least with physical therapy, they, they do reimburse that. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, have you had a separate marketing strategy for physical therapy, maybe targeting uh, post-op and such? You know, we haven't gotten into that, mm-hmm. you know, with being, um, you know, I've been in practice for 10 years now, I've got a pretty large patient base. Mm-hmm. And I would say the likelihood of my patient base seeking out physical therapy is really high. Mm-hmm. So we've tried to just educate our, our prior patients on the fact that we have this option mm-hmm. available for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have an acute ankle sprain. They're probably not going to come see me. They yep. should, but they're probably, they're probably going to seek out, you know, either ortho or their primary mm-hmm. care for referral. Our goal is to try to educate those people on just coming back in to see us. We have every option under the roof. Perfect. So we haven't gotten into post-surgical work. I, I don't, I don't know if it's just Columbus. I'm sure it's other places, but we just have such a monopoly of physical therapy practice here. It's just overrun by Novacare and some of the other big ones. Yeah. It happens down here a lot too, uh, whether it's the orthopedists have it in-house and so they just refer in-house to physical therapy, or uh, obviously you could have the large groups that are controlling some of that. So it, it can definitely be a different animal uh, depending on where you're at. So just wanted to get some thoughts on that though. Um, all right. So now um, what was really the, the biggest thing you did to grow from, let's go from the point where you had the uh, 900 square foot clinic 
to where you moved into your 5,000 square foot? What was really just working for you other than the, the obvious of like, you know, good care and things like that, but what were some of the things that really helped you grow? Yeah. So I would say, you know, back at that point, probably the, the two biggest areas were um, community involvement. Um, and I'll expand on that a little bit. And then physician referrals. And, you know, the challenge with both of those is they are not like a, a quick fix. Like you're going to see the return on investment right away. Mm-hmm. I knew that they were a long-term play. I was patient in that. Um, sure. We've got, we got referrals right off the bat, but you know, it took me five years to generate some of the relationships that I have now with physicians where, you know, they make up a good portion of our referral base still to this day. Mm-hmm. So going back to community involvement, um, you know, I, I still always say the best decision I ever made in practice was to get involved in my local rotary. Okay. Um, you know, people look at rotary and they're like, Oh, it's such an, you know, an old man's old mm-hmm. man's, uh, organization, but mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I've met all of my biggest business connections, my attorney, my insurance agent, pretty much everyone I still work with through rotary and, you know, just being able to develop those personal relationships with those like top influencers in your mm-hmm. community, um, still generates patience to this day. Good. Yeah, no, that's huge. Yeah. And we did, you know, your typical, you know, boots on the ground, weekend events, races, mm-hmm. 5Ks. I mean, it's kind of funny to say this, but thinking back in that day, you know, we didn't have like the Facebook ads or the yeah. Instagram where you could instantly, you know, run ads and get, get leads. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember pretty much every Saturday I'd be at an event, you know, working in the mornings, I'd go meet with physicians after work, you know, a couple times a week. It was just, it was a constant grind and boots on the ground, but yep. I just didn't, we didn't, I didn't know any better at that time. And you know, from a development standpoint, from where I was till now, I mean, I think those personal relationships will continue to generate business for us for the next 10 years. Yeah. I look at my, uh, I've been practicing for 16 years now and I look at my practice growth, like dating back, you know, Oh five, Oh six, you had to, uh, either go out to, you know, bars and places to, to meet, uh, people to get on dates or get a referral from a blind date friend. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden now, uh, you, you've got the ability to do it online, just like online dating. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of, uh, that parallel universe of dating yeah. and, and growing a chiropractic practice is pretty similar. Uh, and you know, it's, it's changed now you can do a lot of different things, but it doesn't mean, uh, meeting that guy or gal, in person is still a bad way of doing it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's obviously been a challenge over the last year where we haven't been able to, you know, meet in person mm-hmm. or go to the, the rotary meetings, but you know, we've, we've found ways to still can connect and communicate with those providers and, and be a part of, you know, their top of mind. So when a patient mm-hmm. comes in with back pain, they, they think of us, um, as, as a side story, I said before, like it took me five years to generate one relationship. So I literally started, there's a big um, steel steel company here in town called Worthington Industries. Okay, and they are um, they own the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, it's a huge like ten thousand person company, mm-hmm. and for literally five years, I would try to sneak into their facility and chat with their docs, chat with their referral specialists. Like you need a key card to get in, mm-hmm. and I would literally sit out there wait for someone to open up, and I would drive behind them to get into their facility. Our our audience can't see this video, but you're recording this from prison, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably cut their name out. Yeah, uh, but 
but five years later, you know, I got a call from them. And they're like, Hey, you, we mm-hmm. want you to come in. Let's sit down and talk about how you can provide on-site care for our employees. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the last, I think it's been three years now, we've had access to go into their, um, their facility and provide care to their employees as needed. Okay. And literally that was, you know, five years of me grinding it out <laughs> yeah. the relationship. And, you know, it's something that'll, that'll pay dividends for a long time for us. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I, I, the local corporation thing always is a big, big catch if you can get one of those. So uh, good. That's nice. Now, um, what was it like to add the, the gym component to your practice? Like how much of an undertaking was that? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of chiropractors that are listening to this that are either doing or want to do the clinic gym model. It's a very um, attractive model. It's, it's got some things you got to do the right way to do it. But what did that look like for you? So again, throughout my career, just being involved in sports, like at the end of someone's care, you know, my, always my recommendation was you need to continue with exercise. Yeah. Um, whether it was, you know, the, the at-home exercises that we were prescribing or whether mm-hmm. it was going back to the, you know, their gym that they were, they were working out at. It got to a point to where I was like, man, I'm really missing out on a lot of opportunity by not mm-hmm. having some form of opportunity for people to to exercise with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it originally started with literally, um, and we, we laugh about it, but we started in like the basement of our other facility. that was moldy, smelly, like a dungeon there. I think there was one window in the entire facility. And we started with like 15 people and I think 12 of them are still training with us to this day. Wow. Um, it was nothing more than just accumulating mm-hmm. a little bit of equipment here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I took on the position early on that I didn't want to have to spend, I didn't want to have to trade time for money trading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hired a personal trainer pretty quickly yep. because just doing the simple math, I figured out that if I was able to see a patient for 15 minutes and do the, the high level care that I did, hmm. and then I was able to have that patient work with one of our trainers yep. on doing basic stabilization exercises going over their home exercise program. Um, we were able to continue to bill for that. And I was able to continue to see higher volume patients mm-hmm. in the clinic. So it first started with me hiring a trainer internally. And then and that trainer just transitioned some of those people into some, some training outside of, of the clinic time. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. But, yeah. We did that for about two and a half, three years. Um, and then decided, all right, we're going to bite the bullet and build out this new facility. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea of we're going to create an actual gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how many people have the opportunity to transition into a big facility like that. Yeah. Um, but even if they don't, I think there's opportunities to add value on the back end of care for your patients. Mm-hmm. Literally with the technology that we have today, you could be doing online training with your patients at mm-hmm. the end of care and they never have to physically step foot in your office. Yeah. I don't know why people aren't prescribing, you know, home exercise through, you know, a trainerized app or one of those where they can continue to monitor their care after. I think we talked about this one time, like there's many different forms of maintenance care. Yep. Like some chiropractors believe in maintenance care coming in every single month and getting manipulated. For me, it's, can we keep you active and exercising? Maybe you come in for a tune up every once in a while, but we always have a hand in what you're doing outside of the office. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's great about the model. You know, there's a few things that's great about it. And one is, is that, you know, you're, you're not missing that key component. I think all of us would agree that 
exercise and let's put rehab or corrective exercise aside for right now, but actual exercise, gym type exercise when done right is one of the best forms of healthcare that there is. And, and it helps obviously with prevention. And so in this model, you, you have that happening and you're able to oversee it in a lot of ways. So you're, you're trying to get them to that point. And that's, that just really makes it great. And I think the other thing that I like about um, the clinic gym hybrid, and I've talked to Josh Satterley about this, who obviously has um, developed this was that it, there is a separation, like you're the doctor in your office, and then you have a trainer in your office. I think we're too many times we're seeing, and you touched on it, where the doctor is kind of acting like the trainer in a lot of ways, and they're devaluing their license, and they're not really making what they should in that sense, and they're having a hard time from a from a business model to to do that. And so that's why I like about that, that separation, you know, there's a doctor and there's a trainer and then there's a, there's a growth model from pain or injury to uh, fitness. And, and I, I really like that, con- that uh, continuum there. So um, did it, anything I miss in that little part of there, or is that hit it on the head? I'll just say one thing that, you know, I've seen over the last couple of years and, and doing a little bit of work with Josh and honestly, a phase that I went through and struggle with still to this day is, you know, as a evidence-based provide, like functional provider, like we get caught in this like hamster wheel of, of just seeing patients, you know, four to six visits, four to six, four to six visits. And with, you know, reimbursements on where they're at, unless you're able to charge like a high hourly rate, it's, Mm -hmm. it is very, very difficult to make an income that justifies the debt that we have and the training that we have. And so for me, like, my whole goal was to provide or build a team around me mm-hmm. that was able to, from a clinical standpoint, provide a ton of value. Yeah. But then obviously from a business financial standpoint, we were able to generate additional revenue outside of me just having to see that person over and over and over again. So I, I think a lot of docs that I talk to get stuck in that. Like, I just want to be really good. So I get people out of pain in four to six visits. That's really noble. It's great, mm-hmm. but it's really, really hard to generate you know, an income that justifies the debt that we have. Yeah. And they're spending, and I've talked about this a million times, but they're spending 30 to 60 minutes with that patient and getting 50 to $75 for that visit, whatever it is. And the math just doesn't work that way. Like to actually, um, to actually bring in enough revenue, that's going to have enough meat on the bone to be able to hire and get off that hamster wheel. Like you mentioned, you need to be bringing in two or $300 an hour, right? And you have to have that some, even more in some cases, but there, it, you have to have that so that you can actually hire people and pay yourself what you do. I, I see too many chiropractors that the first they're struggling enough to pay themselves enough what they're worth. And then the idea of even hiring a front desk can be daunting or then hiring an exercise CA can be daunting or hiring anybody. Like, so it's just, it's a tough battle, like you said. Yeah. And then just kind of to expand on it a little bit more, you know, when I look around the gym, you know, I just walk through to get back to this back office. And, you know, there was four people in the, in the workout class that was going on and all four of them had lost over 60 pounds with their time with us. Like our goal isn't necessarily weight loss. Our goal is to just keep people exercising and be healthier. But when you're talking about like really impacting someone's health, like mm-hmm. sure back pain is, is a, is a huge pandemic, but in the grand scheme of things, if we can get people to be healthier, or lose mm-hmm. weight, like that is truly making an impact on someone's health. Yep. And then from the business side, if we look at, you know, the lifetime value of, you know, a patient in the clinic versus a lifetime value of a patient that's being seen in the clinic, transitioned into um, the gym, you know, we're almost probably tripling our lifetime value 
once mm-hmm. someone gets, you know, involved in the gym itself. So it's from a business standpoint, it's just a no brainer. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think it's a model that people should look into any other thing. And we'll wrap up the, the clinic gym hybrid part of it. But, uh, I, you know, the space thing you brought up, uh, I saw Josh do it at Parker Vegas. We both spoke, I think it was 2019 or 18 or something. Um, and he showed how to do it on the stage. The size of the stage was not that big. And, uh, so you can, it can be done in smaller spaces. So it doesn't have to be a a 2,500 square foot facility for the gym, obviously the, the bigger, the better, but, uh, you can do it in a lot of different settings. So don't let size of the space be the, the limit limitation. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mentioned it before I kind of breezed over it, but mm-hmm. you know, if I was, if I was a new grad starting out right now and I wanted to include training as an option, I would do mm-hmm. it online. I mean, I yep. would, I would treat my patients. I get them out of pain. I'd say, we have this program that you can do from the comfort of your home mm-hmm. or at your gym. Um, you know, here's your program that you're going to get through this app and once you yep. continue with it, you build up some additional revenue until you can get to mm-hmm. the point where you can add space. Yep. Yep. Let's take a break from today's episode and announce our sponsor, Propel Marketing and Design. I've known Darcy Sullivan for years and we've worked hand in hand on my websites. I don't trust anybody else to do search engine optimization. There's so much to it and she does a great job. If you're really going to get results with Google, you have to make sure your website is SEO optimized. And I really don't want you doing it yourself as a chiropractor. You just have to have this type of stuff done for you. There's just no way around it. And if you're looking to get more organic online traffic that pulls in new patients, Propel Marketing Design is currently offering chiropractors who listen to this podcast a free SEO website review. The free review will help you uncover methods that will improve your website and boost your search engine visibility. Head over to propelyourcompany.com slash chiropractor and schedule your free SEO website review. You won't regret it. She gets great results and your website needs this. Your search results need this. Head on over there to propelyourcompany.com slash chiropractor to get your free SEO website review today. Look, you've heard me talk about ChiroUp before, and I'll talk about them again. For those of you that aren't familiar with ChiroUp or haven't checked them out, what they are doing is amazing. I just love their clinical expertise and how they really help the chiropractor and help the chiropractor help their patient base. Right? ChiroUp is an online platform designed by two chiropractors, Dr. Tim Bertelsman and Dr. Brandon Steele. They have nailed down the three things that chiropractors want and then created the resources to accomplish these goals all in one online system. Look, if you want to save more time, treat more conditions confidently, and grow your practice, then you need to try ChiroUp. Their subscribers love ChiroUp because the resources are practice game changers. I love them because I feel like we don't know how to create content sometimes and we struggle with ideas or feeling confident in what we're talking about and ChiroUp really helps solve that for you. And you will love them because of their commitment to work with you and your unique practice goals. Seriously, go to their website, check out their plans and see what they're all about. First time subscribers can get 15% off their monthly subscription with the code CHRISTY15. That's CHRISTY15 for 15% off your monthly subscription. You're seeing some docs do that online model without even having physical practices anymore. Obviously, the going back to the online stuff, you're seeing enough of these. Uh, and I've had a couple of them on my on my show. You know, Grant Elliott and I had Move You on, and they've done a situation where their marketing has gotten so good 
that they've run online and and I don't know their business, I don't know their revenue, I don't know the profit and loss, all that, but it seems like it's working from that perspective. Uh, so it can be done in that model. Now, recently there's been a, a video of, of someone bashing <laughs> manipulation in, in a certain way and it's weird. Like, I don't think you have to go that route either. I think there's been this weird um, divide in the evidence-based model. It's almost like politics, right? It's like you end up in this echo chamber and you end up eating your own. But in the evidence-based model, we're seeing this, uh, some group of like just starting to bash manual therapy in general, and it's all rehab or all exercise. And, and in my opinion, uh, that's not, um, not really an effective way of going about it to, to bash manual. There can be situations where if you're only doing rehab or you're doing online, great. You know, sometimes you're going to be manual and you can have someone to refer to if you're only doing uh, manual, when I say manual, like say soft tissue and manipulation, and you know, they need ex exercise, make sure you have really good trainers or people to refer out to, or have some kind of online component that you're talking about, because that is a missing component. Uh, it's one of the first questions I ask my new patients is if they have an exercise program they're on. And then I, if they do, I want to get the details of it because I want to make sure it's not crappy. And so, um, I really feel like you're hitting it on the head. It's like, if you have an in-house, great, awesome. If not, there still can be some kind of, uh, online or out of your office component, but it's a huge part of the healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, if I was looking back now, even like if I was going to start a practice over again, like I'm, I'm fairly confident I would start as a gym first. Mm -hmm. um, and add chiropractic in as we went along. I just think mm -hmm. acquisition from a marketing standpoint is easier from a gym standpoint than it is Cairo. Okay. So I think there's lots of different opportunities out there right now mm -hmm. for our profession to really take hold of that movement mm -hmm. exercise based um, opportunity. Well, let me, let, let's touch on, I'm going to, I'm going to come at it from a different angle though. Um, and see how, what you think about this. I actually started one of my practices inside of a gym. So I actually had nothing to do with the gym other than I was renting from them. Are you seeing that trend? And then how could you go from renting space, getting that connection going? And then from there, maybe moving into your own where uh, you have both, or is that a completely different subject? <laughs> well, again, I think it's, I think yeah. it's another opportunity for you know, someone starting out to keep their overhead as low as possible, mm -hmm. still have good opportunity. Um, you know, what I've seen is, and, and you know, I've, I've fallen into the trap before is you look at that as like, Oh God, like they have mm -hmm. 250 members. Like this is a huge opportunity for yeah. me. And in reality, like not that many people are going to necessarily seek that out unless mm -hmm. you do a good job of educating your value. Yep. And it goes back to what I said before is just, you've got to put boots on the ground, create mm -hmm. those relationships if I were to start over and I'm renting space from a gym, like I would be in there nonstop offering, mm -hmm. you know, soft tissue work. I'd be working out with them. Mm -hmm. I think it's an opportunity. Um, but I, you know, again, if it was me, I, I would probably start in a small facility mm -hmm. with training on its own, building up the manual side on the backside of it. Okay, perfect. Um, let's transition a little bit. I know that we talked about um, the fact that since the pandemic, you've had to dive in a little bit more, than you would like to, as far as hands-on and, and treating patients and stuff like that. Uh, what does that look like? And then we'll kind of go from there as far as what your goals are in the next, uh, you know, three to five years. Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned before, I mean, we all go through kind of chapters of, of this profession. And for me, 
you know, how I envisioned, you know, the 10 year mark to be was, you know, slowly starting to back down on patient care a little bit more focusing on the development side. Um, you know, I, I honestly think right now, if I were to go off on my own in a small room, I could probably generate more income for myself, you know, seeing a high volume of patients a week. It's yep. just not something I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I envision, you know, shifting that load of patients off to, you know, some of our other providers. Yep. Um, but over the last year, obviously when, uh, when, when things are going awry, like you just have to step in and I, I just, I decided I'm going to, you know, continue to see patients, um, more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to build that back up, how to build the revenue back up, but how I envision it is, you know, backing off to seeing probably half of what I'm seeing mm-hmm. now, building up the providers around me, you know, working a part-time schedule as far as, um, you know, patient, um, interaction, and then just doing more of the community involvement. Where I think my biggest strength is, is just the interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and building, you know, that, um, that relationship with say the local hospital or the physicians group or the community itself. Yeah. The, ra- the rainmaker in a sense, but um, you know, I was having a conversation with my father recently and he said something that kind of, you know, made me think a little bit about our profession. And it was about one of my family members who's an electrician and he's in his sixties now and he's still just a regular electrician. He, he just hasn't done great things in his life. Um, and he's never moved up the, the chain of being an electrician to where you would probably just be a supervisor at that age. And so he's like physically broken down and in a lot of pain because electrical work can be very daunting, especially when you're, you're 40 years into it. And the, the purpose of what my dad brought it up was because he's in so much pain and he's like, yeah, he just never got away from being the, the grunt of the electrical you know, uh, hierarchy. And so he's doing really hard physical labor 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And it's just taken its toll on them. And I kind of thought about that for our profession in LA. You know, I, I know a lot of chiropractors have been doing this for a very long time, but if you don't have a strategy at a certain part of your career to move up that ladder, <clears throat> you're going to find yourself pretty worn out at a certain point. And it doesn't mean you have to get out of patient care completely. It doesn't mean Um, any of those things. It doesn't mean that if you're 60 years old right now and you're full-time treating patients that you haven't moved up the hierarchy, right? It just, it's just something to consider that you hit a certain point in your career and, and you may want to start backing off from the physical part of it to an extent. I I know a doc who's in his uh, later years of practice and he does all the exams and he does a lot of stuff in the office. He's there, but he's not sitting there adjusting 50 people in a day or doing ART on 50 people in a day. And so it's really helped spare the physical side of things. So is that something that you're considering as, as part of this thought process? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of funny that you say that because my father um, is a um, contractor construction worker. He's mm-hmm. 67 years old. Mm-hmm. He's owned his business for like 45 years and, you know, he still works 10 hour days. It's yep. him and one other guy. And, you know, he's done that for the last 45 years and he is, he loves it. He loves working. And I think that's where, you know, I learned some of my, you know, hard work and, mm-hmm. and some of my core values from, but he just, you know, he's in pain all the time. He's tired yeah. all the time. Like, I just don't want to get to the point to where I'm so worn out that I can't enjoy the things I want to enjoy. Doesn't mean I don't want to work. It's just, I want to transition to a different, you know, aspect of the business. And I think tying back to the, the clinic gym hybrid model is the whole goal behind, you know, adding the gym is 
to provide a really awesome service for our patients, really impact their health. But at the same time, that's that's generating recurrent revenue for our mm-hmm. practice and for you know the the overall kind of entity mm-hmm. um, that allows me then at some point to not have to see patients as frequently as I want to. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I did because I after the pandemic, I you know I closed for a month. I had our we had our first child. And then I came back and I went to part-time. So I'm treating patients Mondays and Thursdays. And I had this on my plan for the last couple of years, but I was, I'm 41 right now. I was thinking more age 45, Uh, but you know, the pandemic, I had six weeks off between paternity and and being closed. I had a lot of time to think. And I just said to myself, you know what, when we reopen in May, like I didn't go bankrupt and I'm going to try this out and see what, how it goes. And it did well. But one of the things that I did is the, the Tim Ferriss fear setting uh, exercise. And you can Google that, find it on YouTube, but essentially it is writing out and defining the worst case scenarios if you do this and what could be done to rectify it if it goes south. Right. And so I got really clear on that and had a full strategy of what does this look like if shit hits the fan and I'm losing revenue badly. And the worst case scenario was, is I just went back, I'd go back to full-time chiropractic, right. And, and get back in it and say, okay, we weren't ready for that yet. <laughs> uh, but we're now a year from that, uh, almost a year and, and things are just fine. So uh, maybe you run yourself through that. And in the audience, if there's anything they're contemplating, it's a great way of, of doing it. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, worst case scenario is I, you just step back in and it's, yeah. not like, it's not like the faucet just turns right back on, but you know, just your presence in the building after having the years that you have or the years mm-hmm. that I have, I mean, that just generates attention and yeah. you have the patient base that you have, people are going to want to come back and see you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's my fail safe. If, mm-hmm. if, if we get to that point to where I transition out again and it's not the right time, I just step back in. It's, it's just that to me, it's that easy. Yeah, it is. And then the other thing you can do from a financial standpoint is you want to have an emergency savings. And, and, and I, I think we all realize the importance of that now after this past year. And so you want to have that. Now you don't want to dip into that. That's the goal is that you never dip into that. But when something really bad happens, I know you can speak to it even away from the pandemic. I think you had some flooding issues in your, in your office. Um, and so that could be something or down here. I had, I've had one for years because of hurricanes and stuff. So you want to have that and you don't want to dip into it. But then I started another thing called the opportunity fund. And so I've got money in that account for a business opportunity, not a personal, like go buy a car opportunity, but like a business, some kind of investment opportunity. And it doesn't mean you have to go buy a new practice with that money or you got to do whatever, but that could be the money you use and your opportunity is going to part-time. And now you've got some money that you can inject in during that kind of rocky period that it may be. And you not feel, you don't feel like you're losing money because you've already put this money earmarked for whatever that opportunity is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the, the struggles that all of us as business owners have too, from a financial standpoint is, you know, whether we get in, let's say $10,000 a month or $15,000 a month, mm-hmm. you're spending it either way. And so, so having a very definitive plan of what happens to the money that comes in, mm-hmm. like, we, you know, we started over the last, I think maybe two or three years to, you know, the profit first model where you, you divvy up, you know, the income that comes in into certain buckets. Yep. Um, one of those being your own personal income, but then having reserves ready to go, you know, for things like, obviously last year was a, you know, 
little bit of an extreme example, but we had um, right in May of last year in the middle of the pandemic, our entire facility flooded. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were fortunate that we were actually only down three days. We were able to move back into a temporary facility, but that very easily could have been, you know, two, three months if we didn't have, you know, a chance to bump back into a different building. And I, I'm not sure a lot of practices would survive if they had to shut down for two to three months. Oh. I mean, it's, that would have been, a, that would have been very, very hard. Yep. We had reserves, but I can't imagine many practices would be able to survive. Well, that's the thing too. Last year was a learning experience and a lot of people learned it um, the easy way because they closed their practice, but we were fortunate, obviously the PPP money that really, I think, staved off a lot of uh, issues, especially for uh, chiropractors, because once we re reopen, I feel like chiropractic's done really well, but if there was not that money, I think a lot of uh, chiropractors would have felt the pain a lot more. Now, if flooding happens or hurricanes or earthquakes or, or whatever, or you, or you hurt yourself, you're a sole provider and you, you know, destroy your shoulder and you can't practice. Those are the things that you're not going to have a PPP loan for or grant. And you got to make sure you have that emergency savings. That was one thing I learned too, from the, the, the doc that I worked with when I was an associate, I mean, mm -hmm. he'd been practicing 32 years. And, you know, when I came on as an associate, whether it was good timing or not, um, he needed to have a hip replacement and a shoulder replacement. Yep. And the one thing that he had done very diligently is he had paid into personal disability insurance mm -hmm. and overhead disability or overhead insurance yep. for the practice over the last like 20 years. And when it was all said and done, he was generating from the disability policy, probably more than he was making as a salary uh, being a provider. And, you know, he paid into that for the last 20 years. He was prepared for that. And I think that's one thing that, um, you know, we don't look at in the early part of our career is, you know, having those, those umbrellas over top of the practice or personally in, in case something happens down the road. If yep. you, you know, you're out skiing, you break your wrist, you're screwed. Yep. You know, in our profession. Oh, absolutely. So you got to make sure you have that, but um, cool. I, I want to touch on one more topic and then I'll let you get back to what you're doing today, but um, you got a big team, you know, you got, I think you said 12 team members and everything. Uh, what have been a couple of the leadership qualities that you've tried to hone in on to be able to uh, have a team firing on all cylinders? And I know there's always going to be some that aren't and hiccups and things like that, but what are some of the things you've tried to to work on because I, I do get a lot of concerns from chiropractors about hiring and leading team members because they don't feel like they have the skill set. So what, what have you been able to do to fine tune that? Yeah. Um, as, as I'm sure, you know, and the people listening know, I mean, employees are, and will always be the, the biggest challenge that you have. Um, you know, whether it's unexpected leaves, whether it's um, you know, someone has an issue at home and they can't come in, it, it is always a challenge. It is never easy. Um, one thing that I think that we really learned from a leadership standpoint um, from this past year was, you know, we got away during the pandemic from our consistent meetings as a group, mm -hmm. whether it's just our morning huddles, our monthly meetings, or our performance reviews. We were just so laser focused on trying to survive during that time as we just didn't do that. And yeah. I think as we started to get busier and busier, we saw that we were just kind of splitting as a team and we weren't that cohesive, you know, unit that, that works together. And so over the last couple of months, we've kind of gotten back to doing our meetings, doing our huddles, doing the performance reviews. And I think just constantly having a pulse on the group, 
but then having a pulse on the individual employee themselves, just being an, a human, like knowing what's going on in their life, especially when you get a bigger team like this, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got so many moving parts, yeah. you forget that people are human and having that connection and just connecting with them about their family, about what's going on in their life, I think has been a big, uh, a big aspect as well. Um, and then, you know, for, from beginning of the pandemic till now, you know, I had an office manager, um, prior to the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, since then it, we are just, you know, organized by me. Yeah. Um, we don't have that office manager. I think that's something at this size that we need because in, I'm sure, you know, you know, you have 12 people and that turns into 12 people having questions throughout the day for you as the, the owner. Mm-hmm. So in order to prioritize your time and be effective, like you need someone that's able to answer those day-to-day questions or manage those questions without having to rely on you mm-hmm. because it just pulls away from your attention and your ability to do what you're really good at, which for me is to concentrate on the marketing, concentrate on the relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm having to answer low level questions all day long. It's really hard. Yeah. That's the difference between like, you know, managing and leading, right? If you get, yeah. if you, if you're the leader and you get too much into management stuff, it, it eats away at that leadership. Uh, and one of the good books I'm reading right now is actually given to me by a patient, uh, is called fierce conversations. And it's, uh, the subtitle is achieving success at work and in life. One conversation at a time. Uh, it's been a really good, I'm, I'm only about 40 pages in, but really good talks a lot about conversations and communication, essentially, just like it's important that you have great conversations with your patients about their health and all that. It's very important. You do it with your team members as well. And typically if you have consistent conversations, um, things don't get swept under the rug as much. Things don't come out of nowhere as much, right? Like you get a better pulse of the situation and they feel like they're heard. They feel like you're listening and taking their point of view in a lot of ways. Uh, so that's a, a good recommendation for anybody that's struggling in that capacity, which is probably the vast majority of us. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would say c- communication is probably one of the number one either make or break it attributes mm-hmm. of a good team. Um, one of our core values as a business is uh, communicate even when it's hard. Yep. Um, you know, even from a relationship standpoint, if you're talking about spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, like mm-hmm. if you just let those little things fester, it oh, just yeah compounds and turns into more versus Mm -hmm. like just stopping something when it happens, having a direct conversation Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just like a week later, you've, you've been festering over it. You're mad, turns into something else. And then you, you end up having a confrontational Mm -hmm. um, communication, just biting it right there. Yep. No, it's perfect. So, Hey, listen, I appreciate your time. This was great. A lot of good insights. I love kind of getting the inside look of, people that are doing it the right way and doing it in a way that's uh, not only fun, but also uh, continuing to grow. So for you right now, it seems like that next growth period is just to uh, step away a little bit from treatment. And I know, have no doubt you'll get it done. Yeah. I appreciate it, Kevin. And just, uh, just want to thank you for everything that you do for the profession as well. Oh. Uh, obviously just, you know, from the group, from mm-hmm. the content that you put out there, um, it's awesome to have a resource like you that, you know, consistently puts good stuff out from a marketing side. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's a touchy subject, but thank you. Yeah. For you. yeah. I, I remember when I first started about five years ago, I was like, yeah, evidence-based chiropractors and marketing, they tend not to want to hear about it. I didn't know if I'd have an audience. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. Yeah. But if there's anybody that wants to reach out, have any questions for you, is there any way they can uh, reach you? Yeah, of course. Um, so 
um, either you can shoot me a message on any of the social media platforms mm -hmm. or, you know, my email is uh, D-R-D-A-N, so Dr. Dan at cospineandjoint.com. Um, feel free. We've got some really good preceptorship opportunities coming up. We just have, we're having one start um, at the end of this upcoming month. Um, so if anyone's interested in preceptoring for a clinic gym hybrid, um, we've got some opportunity for that as well. Perfect. I know Logan is, uh, I think they're extending out more like six to maybe nine month long for preceptors because student clinic's been pretty difficult these days. Yeah. I, I don't, this one that we're doing um, is from April to August. So mm -hmm. it's pretty good, pretty good length of time. Yeah. I've got one April to, to like December coming up. <laughs> so um, cool. Yeah. Great opportunity. So anybody, any students out there looking for that, that'd be a great, great opportunity, especially if it's the summer, right? In Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Best time. All right, man. It was great talking to you and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Before you leave, make sure you check out our website. We've got blogs and podcasts and all kinds of great info at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com. We also have a closed Facebook group of the same name where a lot of like-minded chiropractors are workshopping ideas and making sure that we have this continual advancement of marketing, business, mindset, and just growth of your practice. So check us out, modernchiropracticmarketing.com and the Facebook group of the same name.